Welcome everyone, I'm Neris Mutlow. I'm an evangelist within our innovation office here at ServiceNow and I'm really delighted today to be joined by Ollie O'Donoghue who is a senior analyst from technology and today we're going to be discussing some of those various transformation trends that all organisations are really looking at for 2022 and beyond. But before we get into the conversation, Oli, it'd be really great if you could introduce yourself, please, to the audience. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I love I love podcasting. They're a great way of getting information out there. Um, yeah. So Oli O'Donoghue, you've been an analyst now for, I think, seven or eight years. It's hard to keep track of. Um, actually, much like ServiceNow, my humble beginnings were in the IT service management space, and I think our paths are identical. I often compare myself to a multi-billion pound successful company. Um, and uh, I, I mean, now as an analyst, I cover all sorts of things. So I cover cloud and security, um, but still still keep an eye on what ServiceNow are up to. I always describe myself as a bit of a ServiceNow nerd. Yeah, that, that, that's good. And I think um, it's interesting, actually, you should say that coming from that kind of service management background, because, you know, a lot of the principles that you learn in that space are now so broadly applicable, aren't they, across the organisation? And, you know, I think my first ever job was uh, sat, on a, sat on a help desk, actually responding to all these queries coming in and, you know, flicking through manuals back in the day to try and figure out how to uh, how to fix this yeah I think you know new year and kind of looking forwards it's also a good time to kind of reflect a little bit as well and you, you know when we talk about disruption um, I think there's been a lot of disruption actually going on you know as well as COVID I mean we obviously have all been disrupted by COVID but then there was Brexit, there was the skill shortage, there's there's a you know stock getting stuck in the Suez Canal. It almost feels like, you know, what's coming next really, doesn't it? And I think what I'm hearing from a lot of customers is, you know, they want to cope with this kind of uncertainty but a bit better moving forward. You know, the only certainty is uncertainty, right? Is that something as well that you're kind of hearing from all the different customers that you talk with? Yeah, I mean look, we've we've all been through the ringer really, haven't we, over the last um well I I think approaching two years now right which is which is frightening so at least two christmases so far um and and you're right a lot of the mind share has been how are we going to get through um the unique environment we're in as a result of the pandemic and and in between that there have been loads of other macro changes i mean you've nailed the the two big ones so the Suez canal and the impact that had on supply chains was astonishing and i know people who had never heard of the Suez canal until that happened and they were like oh wow so this is like the one point where businesses come crumbling down um and brexit of course we're both in the uk so it's pretty pretty serious business for us um and when we speak to enterprises that that kind of i guess 12 months of being put through the ringer is is what's made them go do you know what um a big chunk of our business is on mainframe that didn't scale well um we learned a lesson there we're now going to have to bite the bullet and do something about that or or whatever it is in their in their technology estate or or, or business operations they've kind of recognized um we, we can't we can't go through it again right but this stuff's going to keep happening you know what's the next big macro event and what are all of the little micro events in the run-up to that that are going to give us a bit of a headache um and how do we build operations to to be more resilient in the face of that yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I kind of feel like that at the minute. It's like, you know, hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic, but it is, well, what's going to hit us next? And, you know, we need to be truly resilient to whatever it is that's going to hit us next. But actually, we need to be kind of capitalising on the changing environment because, you know, change definitely does breed some really good, you know, give you some great room for opportunity, doesn't it, as well? Yeah. And when you speak to um, when you speak to leaders through that period, uh, there was there was almost a bit of excitement, really, because they're like, you know, I've been trying to put this on the agenda for 
you know, 20 years and now say almost going, yeah, let's migrate to the cloud, right? Let's get that done. So they feel like they're actually in a better position now than, than if they didn't go through that really challenging period for their business. And I think keeping that mindset, you know, like you say, what's the next thing, you know, what's, what's 2022 going to bring at us that's going to give us a headache uh, is a mindset that a lot of enterprises now trying to consciously adopt as they, as they redesign their business. Yeah. I mean, I remember talking to a customer recently that was looking after digital workplace and they were like this isn't seen as cool before you know it was kind of seen as a real utility service what the pandemic has done has shown that the digital workplace is absolutely instrumental for keeping the business running keeping people productive so suddenly I'm like the cool person like in the team now right everyone's coming to me for solutions so yeah I, I totally totally agree with you um in terms of it's giving some of those kind of more focus on some of those areas that perhaps people wanted to do before, but it didn't have that same momentum behind it as there is now. So in terms of like technology trends, then obviously you being an analyst, you see so many different cu- customers and you study this on a daily basis. What are some of the trends then you're, that you're kind of seeing from a technology perspective that you expect to be a big focus area in 2022? So from, I mean, looking at technology specifically, for me, the most interesting space right now is what's going on with 5G. Um, and not necessarily the, the specific technology itself, but what it enables across the business and how, how businesses are developing their, um, their strategy for, for dealing with 5G. Um, and we, I mean, the reason it's my favorite as well is I've just done a piece of research off the back of it. So it's a good opportunity to plug that. We did this huge survey um, and enterprises are really optimistic in the opportunities that 5G will bring to them. Um, and how it will enable the ability to remap the way data flows across their business. And that impacts all of the other technology groups like data management, automation, AI, all of that cool stuff that we've all been working on over the last decade. Um, 5G is going to completely transform that and they're going to have to rethink it and rethink processes and and what people do and and how they build out their enterprise. Um, And that'll vary, of course, by industry. So we'll, we'll see you know, manufacturing and healthcare, those where you see the really cool use cases. Um, but across the board, you know, banks are actually one of the most optimistic in, in that space for how it's going to transform process and, and workflow in their organization. So for me, that's the big one as kind of the um, the catalyst for all other technologies, how it's going to how it's going to change, you know, and enable things like edge computing and IoT to remap right through to, you know, legacy RP systems, which will have to transform that we've been putting off the agenda for ages because we didn't want to and it's not that cool. Um, now you have to. So there's a lot going on in the technology space as well. And I think that's the most interesting thing about the next year to two years is the you know, we're sort of in the middle of the pandemic, really, you know, a lot of countries are going back into lockdown and, and that kind of that wave of change hasn't finished and it's not likely it's going to finish anytime soon. Um, there are all of the other kind of um, I guess, political question marks open, things like Brexit and other macro changes. And then there's this huge technological change right in the middle where we're rolling out 5G and it's going to change your business for, for whatever reason. Um, so there's a lot there's a lot going on. Yeah, and I, I guess great opportunity. But also, if, if you're sitting here and listening, well, 5G is going to really change my business. I suppose it can be a bit daunting as well. If you're going to have to kind of re-engineer processes, rethink how you're going to how you're going to work. You know, these are, this is not a small task in itself, is it? No, it's, it's, it's vast. And when we, we map out kind of the impact it's going to have on things like technology and business units, um, and they're actually, even though I should never say this about my own charts, they're the most boring charts because everyone's going, yeah, it's going to be huge. It's going to impact all of this, you know, even the back office, front office, middle office, all of these functions. Um, the cool thing is we'll be able to use it to align these functions better and we'll be able to see data in you in interesting ways. But actually getting to that point is a huge journey. There's loads to do. And a lot of businesses are still kind of grappling with the, uh, 
well, we've sort of just survived this really challenging period. Let's take a breather. Oh no, now we've got to, we've got to kind of remap our business again because of technology. Um, so yeah, it's, it's huge. Um, and it's, it's where a lot of organizations are looking for help from partners. You know, they're bringing in partners to, to help them out because you can't do it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, and we, we talked about this before, you know, with all this disruption coming from, you know, the environment that you're operating in, but also the technology, you really need to start thinking about, you know, how do I create this kind of like business and operating model that is in a constant state of reinvention that can really kind of, you know, sense what's going on and be able to respond very, very quickly. And, you know, I'm not a massive fan, actually, of the word transformation, if I'm honest, because I always think transformation kind of implies that you, you do it and it's done. And I, and I kind of think we know it's never going to be done. This is about, if you like, transforming your operating model into something that can constantly evolve so you know i just like to get your thoughts really on that and you know do you think do you agree with me on that you know is this a case of your your operating model needs to be much more organic if you like than it's ever been before yeah yeah i mean i, I agree I've, I've been in 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 it before i became an analyst i was in it i wasn't very good which is why i became an analyst it's easier to write about people doing cool things with it than it is to do them if, if you're me um and and a lot of the conversation then was how do we continually change e even back then and it's because at the end of a project no one ever said right well that's that done right so we're there that's great we're in the we're in the utopia that we designed um you know it, it was just a continual process of okay well now we've done that it impacts this system so we'll need to upgrade that too um what's interesting now is that that baseline of iterative change has kind of itself um evolved completely because of the pandemic so everyone raced to the cloud for for obvious reasons um we moved to remote models to your point if you were kind of the 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 um person who wasn't particularly fashionable who sourced laptops you were suddenly really cool june 2019 right because everyone needed a laptop on march 2019 everyone needed a laptop you were you were the point of attention um and because of all of that transformation that happened in that really short period, that, that baseline's disappeared completely. So, so the lessons we learned before that don't necessarily tie up with what we're doing right now. Um, and when we speak to enterprises about that, they recognize they've got this new foundation. There's a lot of work they need to do to kind of fix it because it was hurried, but they want to continue driving that change. They want to build um, this kind of, uh, I, you know, I think you use the words adaptable, resilient um, a lot, and they want to build that into um, the, into their operating model. So do you know what? The next time we need to race for the next technology or embrace the next change or completely pivot our business and reinvent ourselves, that core platform is there to help us. You know, we have the data where it is. We understand how it'll impact HR, how it'll impact our customers, and we can map that journey and do it a little bit more um, intelligently i guess so we can understand what the ramifications of of, of doing that are um, because in the past when we raced to the cloud uh we encountered security challenges and and systems that needed to be modernized in that journey and and perhaps teams that were left behind that we wanted to bring with us now we need to kind of figure out a model that means that doesn't happen because the pace of change will accelerate it's a bit of a cliche the pace of change will accelerate but you know what it's it's true it's one of the best cliches because yeah. it's true yeah, and, and you talk there about the kind of journeys as well. And that's something that I'm certainly seeing with a lot of the customers I'm talking to, where whereas before you might have had a marketing project or you might have had a kind of a, a, a I don't know, ERP project going on just to kind of replace your legacy system. Now it's very much, there's much more of an appetite of looking at those different customer journeys that impact your business 
and starting to, you know, build that process and then leverage a technology, really, that can go horizontally across that. And, you know, I think we see it with the customer journey. We see it with the employee journeys as well. Um, How mature would you say kind of customers are with taking that very much more journey focused approach when they're reimagining their business? So I, I think it depends. I mean, obviously, the easy answer is it depends on business and, and industry. Um, my industry is the most interesting angle to look at it. Um, and, and the way and I, I hate to keep leaning on the pandemic, but obviously it was this this, this huge thing that happened for some industries. The, their their whole model, their whole raison d'etre disappeared, right? And they needed to completely rethink it. Retail is one of the best ones. Um, uh, Hospitality is another good one. You know, all these industries where it's like, well, guess what? No one's going to come to your hotel for a year. Figure that out, right? So they had to kind of go back and say, well, actually, we'll do safe office working space or whatever it is, and we'll completely reorchestrate what we do as a business, fundamentally change, um, and then change back if if we need to. So that was kind of their journey, and they build um, brought technology in to support that. Retail's a little bit easier because we had that pathway to e-commerce, that journey to e-commerce that that they were already going on, and then it got accelerated really quickly. So so those. Um, Industries by and large get it, right? It was that it was that kind of iterative movement that was sped up. I think for other industries like um, manufacturing, it's much harder because it depends entirely what you do. Um, and these new technologies like 5G are going to fundamentally transform the journey that you thought you were on two years ago. And, and now you're not on that journey anymore at all because, you know, these new capabilities exist. Your partners want you things. Your retailers want you things. That whole that whole piece has changed. So there's, there's huge variance. Um, and I mean, really, it depends on the, I guess, almost the culture and strategy of the, of the business as well. So some businesses are just naturally really good at adapting to change, right? Digital natives being one of them because they already have that platform. Um, but there are other businesses that just kind of roll with the punches really quickly and easily, which means they can just pivot their journey really, really quickly, build in new technologies, look at the landscape, scour kind of what's going to happen in five years and build that in. Um, the vast majority, in my opinion, aren't really there yet. They're still getting over what we've all just been through over the last two years. Um, and I know that because they're asking analysts like me and and the other organizations, the vendors that we work with for help and say, look, here's, here's sort of where we think we want to be. Um, we don't want to do these bit by bit pieces of just enriching different systems. We want to pull it all together. We want a clear strategy and we want a roadmap over to you guys. Um, so the, those guys, uh, I guess, are uh, conscious that they need to follow that approach and that's the new way of doing things. Um, but internally, they don't necessarily have the capability. So they're looking for help doing it. Yeah, and I think it's a really interesting point you make. Um, and when I talk about the adaptive operating model, I kind of call it out very much as a building block of it, of having that right culture of kind of continued innovation and really empowering everybody. You know, the speed of change that we're trying to operate at, we can't be waiting for, you know, somebody at the top to kind of like, you know, cascade it something down. We need to make sure that people understand what it is the business is there to do, have the right tools and if you like, operate within some guardrails that they can go and deliver that change very, very rapidly to the customer. Um, because otherwise, you're not going to be able to, you know, you're going to be talking about it two years down the line. And uh, I said to somebody recently, if, you, if you've got a two year kind of transformation roadmap and you're not delivering anything before two years, you know, quite frankly, you might as well whip it up and start again. Right. Yeah. That is not yeah. going to be you know, fast enough. You can have that like longer term vision of where you want to get to, but you need to, as you said, that continuous delivery of change, that incremental change is so important. 
But, you know, one thing I would say, I think some of the challenge that organisations have is, well, how do I make sure that everybody is aligned with what we're doing, in a, you know, across the an entire company? You know, it's easy when you're small. It's not so easy, is it, when you're like thousands of people strong? So how do you get that alignment of strategy all the way through that organisation? What have you seen working really, really well organizations well this is i mean this is the age-old question i mean it's followed me around through my analyst career so um you know we talk about breaking down silos that's always been right at the top of the agenda uh and let's say when i started off as an analyst a decade ago just under a decade ago it was really about just getting people in the same room i mean honestly just getting hr it whoever just in that one room together and go well here's what we're working on here's well did you know it impacted us in this way when you don't do these things or you do do these things and then going back and changing their function to kind of uh, adapt with that with that kind of new information um, which only gets you so far and it really depends on your culture um, how willing and defensive leaders are in those different functions to go well actually no I think you're wrong you know it's not our fault whatever you know you've all of those different challenges which take years and years and years to overcome um, what's changed now is that technology um, has become more of an enabler in, in ensuring that data and information flows more neatly across those different functions um, and there are, there are a huge uh, I guess range of solutions now that which means you can go into that same meeting and say, well, actually, here's here's what our customer does. Here's what our supplier does. And here is how you, IT, are impacting that journey for better or for worse. And that's a way of looking at it that you never would have had before. You would have had to have gone out to supplies and logistics. You would have had to go out to these different functions if you're a particularly proactive manager and say, how does you know the server being down for change over the weekend impact you, right, without it being an upset email? Whereas now you can you can map that in real time. Which, which is a game changer for, for breaking down silos. Um, and you can remap workflows in, in real time, which again is a game changer. It used to be IT had its process and it hit HR there or hit facilities there. You know, here's your laptop over to facilities to get you a desk. And then their process was different. They weren't really aligned. They just kind of touched each other. Whereas now you can kind of go, well, actually, the way we can visualize this now means we can get your desk at the same time we're getting your laptop. There's nothing stopping us from doing that. And we can make sure that every party has um, a sight of that, that information, has that insight to, to you know, map out their journey for that particular user or that customer. Um, so technology is going to be the big game changer for me in breaking down those silos. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you talk there about a journey like a new starter, for example, and, get, and getting their laptop. And, you know, as you said before, it was very much like pass from pillar to post. And, you know, you might have to phone somebody for one department. You might have to send an email on another department. And you didn't have that that kind of view um, on a single platform. And I, I agree, you know, once you can visualize that, that's kind of one step of it. You've also got the opportunity then to continuously improve it then, haven't you? You know, where are the bottlenecks? What's not working that well for us? Um, and I also think as well, I've spoken to kind of IT departments over the years and people sometimes, you know, their day job is looking after a set of servers. When you actually ask them what those servers are responsible for and what the impact of that is, there's sometimes been a disconnect. Yeah. And I think, you, you know, it's, it's it's kind of shocked me a little bit, really, um, to be honest, previously. But I think what we've got now is we've got the ability to give everybody a really un good understanding of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, how that contributes to that overall strategy, you know, how what, you know, working on that server helps keep that banking service up, for instance, right? Or providing this service at border force means that there can be more people flowing through Heathrow quicker, which makes the people, you know, on that desk's jobs much easier and much happier and the customer ultimately much happier. And I think having that line of sight is really, really important for technology. 
Because also then it enables you to really start suggesting some of those improvements as well. And it makes you feel more connected. You know, technology should always have been there ultimately to drive the business. But there has been times definitely over my career in the last 25 years where we've sometimes seen technology projects that have been a bit disconnected from that business strategy. Yeah. And I mean, even even to this day, I mean, I'm telling a story here that shows kind of the the IT background that I came from. Um, But there were times when we found servers and the only way to know what that server did was to switch it off and see how the phone rang. And that was the only way because no one, they said it's been there for 10 years and we have no idea. And you wouldn't know if it was a critical system or not. So you had to switch it off. And it's absolutely ludicrous in this day and age that's what you're doing. Um, But the reality is for a lot of enterprises, they don't have that forensic understanding of their estate, both technology or where processes go. Um, So you're absolutely right. That insight, is is critical um the other piece for me is it solves one of the biggest talent issues that that's taking place in the boardroom right now um and it's this whole piece around purpose right so when when you ask um well supposing new generations of workers i suspect it's always been there but but new generations have been a little bit more vocal um when they say what do you want out of a job purpose is is the big thing that comes up it's kind of that big millennial trend when when i joined the workforce um if you're in it and you don't know what value you bring and this was a genuine issue in one of the it um uh, functions that i worked in we had no idea what value we brought to um, in, in this instance, the citizens that we were delivering services to. Now, if we had that insight, say, would well, you know what? We resolved that really quickly, which meant this website was up. Um, and even something as basic as it meant people's bins were collected quicker or more efficiently, or we didn't miss a day or whatever it was um, that the end result was, you'd, you'd feel very different about that interaction that was a five-minute phone call. You know, because you made that real difference. Um, and it's the same across industry and across business. If you can deliver that kind of, here is the role that you're playing. Sure, you're, you're kind of in head office and you're, you're in this other function. You're not on the, on the shop floor. But you, you doing your job actually changes the way that we deliver products and services. Here is the customer feedback that we got as a direct result of the work that you did, um, you know, tangentially. Uh, and I think that process of bringing that insight through back to the employee and through to different functions is, is going to be a big opportunity to, to break down those silos that, that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of drives that more accountability as well, because you care, because you now know that there is that kind of end citizen, you know, at the end of it, and you're making a making a difference as well. Um, so in terms of kind of breaking down the silos, and you talked a bit about this, you know, how how does an organisation go about doing that? Because clearly, they've got an organizational structure we're not saying look you need to rip that up and start all over again they've invested in a whole load of technology some of which you know they may have invested in in the last couple of years some of which may be 30 40 years old but you know how does an organization use technology then to kind of really create that kind of you know more horizontal type process oriented organization well i mean the, the first thing i always say with this is that sometimes silos are there for a reason you know you do need silos just for whatever structure you need it you know you you kind of need well this is where these guys sit and here is the work that they do um i think the process that we've seen organizations move on over the last i mean really 10 to 5 years kind of kind of that that period in the run-up to the the pandemic if we're going to put a a time stamp on it is integrating systems right it's a huge what everyone was talking about system integration um it's where technologies like rpa came from is how can we how can we scale up effectively an integration between these systems and these systems flow that data from that data um and that does uh, that's kind of a huge step on 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 integrating um, different business units and breaking down some of those silos. But the biggest piece is that that, that cultural change 
um, by far, and it's been at the top of the agenda for good reason, is if you've got a group of people that don't really want to work with another group of people, then putting a platform in between them is not really going to change anything. You know, they're going to fill it with the wrong data and they're not going to meet in the middle and they're not going to pick stuff out the other end. Um, and that's where a lot of the, the mindshare is going right now, because we have that almost... Um, I mean, it's, I, I guess it's almost freedom following the the impact of the pandemic where we accelerated, uh, you know, all of these different change programs where enterprises kind of go, well, actually, what do we really want to be? Where are our kind of hotspots of activity that we need to change? Um, and let's work at breaking down those silos and pulling them together. And there, there are loads, I mean, talk about things like enterprise service management, right, which has been around for ages, which was about uniting the back office effectively with, with a single platform. Um, and, and that's been relatively successful for a lot of organizations. We've shared services and global business services that do exactly that. Well, now it's a case of mapping it across the entire enterprise. And I think we're seeing more and more of, and, and, and this is something that we've talked about in the past, is platforms like ServiceNow, which show that entire customer journey from A to B and, and all of the dependencies. So you can have that clear understanding. And once you have that understanding of, well, this is what the customer does, and these are the touch points, then the differences between, well, we're IT, we're you know, uh, facilities, we're supply chain, um, become a little bit clearer. Th those walls become a little bit more like windows, and you can start understanding what everyone's doing. Uh, and that's, that's the big shift. That's the, that's the big shift in breaking down silos, is everyone understanding the, the unique value that their function brings. Yeah, and I think that's a really, really great point. And I know from my own previous experience, um, in a previous role, I was responsible for bringing like new products and offerings to market really quickly. And the first thing I did was I brought sales, marketing, security, delivery, all together effectively into a horizontal team and, you know, create a common goal. Our goal is to create this product within this time scale that meets these customers' needs. And actually, just by bringing them together, in that way and actually we didn't have any particularly great technologies to help with that kind of integration of the teams if you like enabled us to go to market you know in sort of kind of i think it was three months as opposed to previously we've been talking like a year plus and then that constant kind of like iteration really to improve on that and that feedback loop that feedback yeah. loop is so yeah. important as well but you know what it also did as well as everybody understood what their contribution was but they understood if you like the concerns and the dependencies on other departments. So it kind of helps people from an empathy point of view as well, kind of understand, you know, if I'm being asked for this and this is from another team, this is why they need it. This is why it's important to them. So it was, you know, it was a huge cultural change more than um, actually anything else. And then, of course, I looked at tools to kind of bring in and help with that kind of cascading of the strategy down and then measuring the value delivered, et cetera. But it was absolutely that cultural change first. Yeah, it's it's the biggest it's the biggest piece. Like you saying, you've you've touched on the empathy point, and I think um, over and I'm just I'm looking through kind of the service management piece right now. Um, over the last few years, we've got really good at understanding what customers want, um, but understanding what employees need is the next wave, right? We haven't been very good at that, I think, as 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 business leaders over over the last few years. Um, whereas now, because of the unique environment we're in and all of the the talent strategy questions that are opening up all over the place that's become kind of front and center um, and understanding how uh, different functions can work together better and improve each other's lives as they deliver for the customer um, is, is going to go a long way to, to solving some of those talent strategy questions and again it kind of helps fold in that purpose piece which for a lot of enterprises is the hardest part you know so you can do things like you know, we'll, we'll offer more competitive salaries. We'll have, you know, uh, the Google style offices with the fireman's pole in the middle and all of that cool stuff. Um, but they're asking what our purpose is. How do we answer that? 
you know, what, what is our purpose? So they have to kind of go through that, that period of self-discovery um, and then go to bring that transparency to people. Yeah, definitely. So I'm just going to change track uh, for a minute. Um, we've talked, obviously, about some of the environmental factors that are affecting businesses. We talked about Brexit. We talked about COVID. ESG is an area that we haven't really talked about so far. But obviously, this is now getting more and more focus and for, you know, for good reason. Um, so in terms of kind of the conversations you're having with customers, how are they bringing in that kind of responsible business and ESG agenda into that transformation? And is it something that they're kind of doing on the side? Or is this something that they're kind of, if you like, is underpinning everything they're doing anyway? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good question because it's the top of everyone's agenda and it's been it's been rumbling around now for I think three years I can remember the Financial Times did that that kind of that big open letter to businesses say we need to be more responsible and that kind of kicked off a whole whole chain of yeah do you know what? actually we should be pretty pretty responsible and obviously the the, the climate change piece has been has been going on for, for a really long time um, again it, it varies by organization um, I, I think the, the the kind of the environmental the sustainability piece of the question uh, people are a little bit clearer on and they're spending a lot more time focused on it right now. Um, rightly or wrongly, you know, it, it, that's that's where a huge amount of the focus is right now because of the, the climate change emergency, um, new regulatory environment, more more customer pressure. Um, and there's some really cool stuff going on and, and, and technology is playing a really, really crucial role. Again, I'll, I'll lean on the 5G piece, um, but think of how powerful your sustainability um, strategy will be if you understand how every part of your business is contributing, but also how your partners are contributing. You can start mapping all of that, all of that data to do things like reduce waste, which has an environmental impact. Um, you know, uh, drive out carbon, find new, more, more, more sustainable ways of doing things. Reroute kind of traffic in a port so it uses less fuel. There's all sorts of different things you can do when you have access to that data. I think that's where a lot of the focus is right now because those technologies are emerging and exist. Um, the other parts. Of, of the ESG piece are actually quite hard. Uh, not not saying that piece is easy, but that's where uh, enterprises are really struggling right now, I think, is understanding here's the broader impact we have on communities. Um, here's, here are the, the considerations we need to make in terms of governance to make sure that, that we're doing the right thing. Um, they're being pushed by employees big time like employees are kind of saying well i'm not going to work for you because of because of this thing you did um or or because of you know the the nature of your business i'm not going to work with you and that's that's usually an esg part of of the conversation you know effectively if i work with you um my friends will make fun of me or or whatever it is that that that, that might come up as a result of that so they're kind of being pushed in that direction customers uh, are saying we're not going to buy things off of you because um one of your competitors has a better uh, a better sustainability narrative than you have and i feel like buying their car isn't going to be um, as much of an ethical challenge for me as it is buying from you, as an example. So it, it, it's kind of, I think for enterprises, it's, it's a bit all over the place. I think the sustainability piece, they're a little bit further on because the the regulatory part of that conversation is, is it, by region accelerating really, really quickly. So you kind of have to do it now to keep your customers and your employees, but also if you don't do it, you're going to be in serious trouble at the other end. Um, and the other parts of the ESG piece are coming through as well. And, and, and if you look at kind of the raw, the raw materials used to manufacture cars, that's a really interesting part where um, regulators are saying, yeah, where did you get that cobalt? Right. And if you can't, oh, we don't know, then, well, you can't use it then. You know, how does that impact your supply chain, and your production facilities and your entire business? Um, so there, there's a bit of preparation work going into it. Um, but I, I suspect we'll see a lot more over the next two to three years because you have that kind of regulatory pressure coming down, but also customer employee pressure pushing up. So you, you have you have to embrace 
Yeah, and I sort of think as well, when you look at the yes part and you look at the society piece, um, it's really helpful in helping address the talent shortage as well. So we can do things like, you know, help as, as an organisation, help in terms of training and upskilling people that are perhaps in, you know, less privileged positions and, and, and kind of initiatives like that, which actually are really good for society. But they're also really, really good for the business as well, because that the talent kind of uh, challenge, I don't think I've ever known it as great as it is now in the last sort of 20 odd years. I mean, is, is that something, again, that you're kind of you're seeing? Yeah, there's 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 a lot. I mean, technology companies um, uh, are one of the best examples. I mean, if, if only cause it's easier for me, I've spent more time looking at them over the last um, six months to a year. Um, where effectively, and, and it's, it's a mixture of things like remote work, which means you can go to um, effectively untapped talent pools and say, well, you know, you don't need to travel to New York or Philadelphia or London or wherever it is. You can stay at home and you can still deliver value. And we now have the setup that enables you to do that. Um, and we can offer real flexible working, not that kind of you have Friday off that, that, okay, well, two hours in the morning. And if you could put one hour in here, we, we can start enabling um, people to do that. And that really opens up opportunities to um, a, a large group of people, huge demographics of people that otherwise couldn't engage um, with the labor market in, in the way that they can do today. And another thing we're seeing is um, organizations effectively, I mean, paying it forward is probably the wrong word, um, but, but going out into communities and saying, sure this is an entire town or city or, or region that's untapped um we're going to invest in education and in infrastructure and resources and, and whatever it is and build up that community because that will help us solve um the the operational challenges we have delivering into that national or local market you know we can we can you know build an office there and and, and kind of use those people to come in and help us and and do all of that different piece um so there's a there's a lot of movement in that space um i guess the the hard part is I guess, delineating between what's ethical and what's a business conversation and how those pieces blur, because it can become really complicated. You know, I, I use the word use those people. So you're skilling those people up and then you're using them to deliver, you know, services as part of your business. Then then it becomes a, so, you know, what part are you helping that community and what part of it is self-interest? Is that a challenge, right? Because if actually the community is benefiting from it as well as the business, surely that's a great place to be, right? You know, if we can operate our business in a way that makes sense for us as a business, but actually is doing it in a purposeful way, in a way that is good for society and an environmentally conscious way, then that's got to be the panacea, right? I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah, if it's if it's done in the right way, absolutely. If, if it's done in the right way, um, Sadly, there are examples where it's not necessarily done in the right way. You know, history tells us that, that it isn't always the, the approach. Um, that being said, regulatory environments, business environments, what consumers can see and understand has changed. Um, so, so you know, again, I use the um, car manufacturing example. Uh, when consumers find out, do you know what, that's perhaps not quite the ethical vehicle that I thought it was, or your model isn't the ethical model that I thought it was, I'm not going to buy that car anymore. Then you have a very clear message to say, well, actually, let's rethink how we're doing this piece of work. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen that. We've seen examples, haven't we, where people have kind of, you know, uh, decided not to shop with certain retailers because of the fact that he's, you know, sweatshop type workers. So. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's the kind of ethical piece that comes around. You know, it's, it's more I get I, it's more for the philosophers and, and people much smarter than me to understand, you know, what where, where the right and wrong is, but making sure that it's a real um, ESG initiative. Right. So, so we're doing this because it is the right thing to do. And it also is a good business decision. 
um, is, you know, fine. And there are countless examples of that, but there are also examples where, you know, like you say, people have, have kind of said, well, we're uplifting this community and it doesn't necessarily end that way. Um, and these are conversations that are taking place in the boardroom right now. And uh, I, I expect there'll be a big piece around this where it comes to collecting data and, and proof points um, around things, including sustainability, um, because regulators will want to see that information. They'll want to see that data. So, well, you know, you're absolutely right. This This was the right thing to do. Yeah. So, Ollie, we've talked about kind of the, the need to sort of organise around those customer journeys, those employee journeys, the need to be able to integrate and try and break down those silos, the need to be able to have that kind of clear alignment back to the strategy and actually understand the value each area brings. And we've talked about the importance of um, kind of ESG underpinning it. We've also talked about the, the importance of moving at speed and constantly changing. And I think when a lot of organizations started embracing agile ways of working, for instance, there was a perception that agile meant crazy, lack of control, you know, the wild, wild west. Um, So how do organizations make sure that they can still operate at pace, but they have that control, right? And that they can be trusted, that the data that they're holding about the customer, the data that they're holding about their employees is trusted. How can they do that? I mean, this this is a really important piece, and we're seeing this play out, particularly in the um, the I guess the the no code low code space, right? Which is an area that I I, I really enjoy um, because I come from that service management background. And one of the first things we were always asked at the other end of the phone is kind of how can I fix this myself? How can I do this myself? And I, I think no code low code capability and citizen developers generally enables you to do that. Um, and what, what it really knows when, when thinking about kind of agility is because those functions are often closest to the customer or, or in a position where they can respond just much faster, uh, if you give them the ability to develop solutions at the point with those guardrails, so here's the data you can access, here is how it's encrypted, you know, here are, here are the things you can do and you can't do, and coming up with kind of that, that joint agreement between the citizen developers um, and, and the people at the other side, whether it's, whether it's IT or governance, risk and compliance, whoever it is, um, enables you to move at that velocity, right? Because you don't have to go, well, here is, here is what we think, um, here is what we reckon our customers want, here's the features, here's the thing we need to use to react. IT, can you go out and procure something for us and then legal will get involved you don't need to have that conversation because the the platform has the guardrails already so you can develop that that solution um so for me that's that's an important move um it's not without its challenges as with everything it's not without its challenges and there are a lot of conversations around you know grc um it what can you do how do you avoid things you know if everyone's developing their own solution how do you manage those solutions and make sure that the customer touches the right one these are all challenges the organizations are looking to overcome um but once you overcome them you have that velocity right so you have that um and i, I like thinking of the retail example if in the middle of the pandemic um national chains ha- had kind of empowered and enabled people at, at the storefront then it would have been a very different reaction. You know, people would have figured out the curbside delivery issue. They would have partnered up with different people, different suppliers, and would have solved some, solved some of those challenges in weeks that took the the kind of the national um, governance framework close to a year to figure out. You know, and, and how they manage those people. Um, and it's a bit of a, a strange analogy, but but if if you can think about here is here is how that store goes. Well, we have. Here are the things we know we can do. Here is the platform we know we can do it in. So here, here is the things that we'll influence now. And we'll get those things fixed today, and then we'll we'll get kind of the guys back at HQ to figure out the the, the other challenges. Then you can respond to things very differently and at, at a completely different speed. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's about kind of empowering people, isn't it, at the edge, you know, of the organisation, people that are that customer coalface, if you like, giving them those right tools, because, you know, every every area is different as well. And I think there's some really good examples of good retailers as well that do empower their stores to almost yeah. operate like independent stores. Um, because they know which stock to buy in because they're close to the customer rather than somebody that is just centralised. Um, and as you say, decision making, it has to be much quicker. It can't be going through all these different layers of hierarchy in order to get change done. And I think when I think about citizen development as well, I kind of think a little bit like the, um, the, at the app store, right? Anyone can go away and write an iOS app. Right. But in order to get it published, you have to meet certain criteria. You have to prove it's tested, meet, say, brand guidelines, etc. And that's effectively what organisations need to do. They need to empower everybody to be able to develop these applications. But they need to have that control, as you say, and be able to check that, you know, they're not got any GDPR type uh, breaches and that actually, you know, this is something that adds value to the organisation um, and do that in a really kind of like seamless way. And that's something, you know, from a ServiceNow perspective, we're really good at enabling that, you know, so you can go away and build these. But it still goes through almost that kind of change and release type process that you would expect with, you know, would expect if you were bringing any application into your organization. Yeah. And I, I think there's um, there's a piece at the other end of that conversation, which, and it, again, it just goes back to, to my days on the on the IT service desk, where if you don't offer people that ability, because really what you're doing is enabling their success and saying, we we get that you guys want to want to achieve more. Um, here is the here is the platform that enables you to do that. If you stop that from happening they'll just go and do it anyway, <laughs> you know, and somewhere else in a way that you can't control and data will get out there in ways that, that it shouldn't do. And, and there are obviously countless examples of that, you know, almost every day in the newspaper where data's got out that shouldn't have. And, and at its root, it's because someone opened up an AWS instance they shouldn't have done or, or, or whatever it is. So if you're, if you're providing that platform, um, you're kind of mitigating the risk that people go, well, we're just going to do it anyway because we want to be successful. We've got targets. We've got KPIs. Here is how we're going to achieve those targets and KPIs. And you're not helping us. So we'll have to help ourselves. So it's it's kind of drawing drawing those two pieces together, I think, which makes it the most powerful. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think we're pretty much at the end of uh, end of time. I could sit and chat with you for ages, to be honest, uh, to be honest, Ollie. Um, but I think I'd just like to say thank you. Thank you for your time today um, and your great insight. I think what we've talked about shows that actually as much as technology is super important in this, in underpinning this, this is very much a cultural and organisational transformation, isn't it? You know, to work like like this. Um, if you could kind of... Uh, you know, your, your sort of top three recommendations, putting you on the spot a little bit here, top three recommendations to organisations if they're looking to really reimagine their um, their operating model, what would they be? Oh, that's, uh, that's a tough one. So like the hardest one, the easiest one to start off with, but it's also the hardest one to do, is is understand where you are, right? And you'll see that almost any, any consultant's presentation will kind of have that right at the start, is you need to go out and understand where you are, where your people are, what they think, and, and all of that. And it's, it's a huge piece of work. Um, but that's got to be number one because there's no point kind of building out your journey if you don't know where you're starting from because you, you could end up anywhere um the second one is then don't be afraid to ask for help um we're, we're seeing a lot of that now the ecosystem of technology providers and service providers and platforms and tools it's so complex that 
you probably won't be able to do it yourself. Even if you've got the greatest team in the world, you're going to need some extra help. So, so figuring out who is it we can trust to deliver these bits, which are the bits that are differentiated if we deliver them internally, which are the bits that aren't, and we, we're better off going someone who's really good with that technology or really good with that capability or, or, or whatever it is and going out to them. Um, and, and the third one, I think, is don't be too hard on yourself. Because it, it becomes really easy when we talk like this to um, kind of say, oh, well, that company's not doing too well. They're really holding back. Well, if, if, you're, if you kind of have that, that pessimism locked in of, well, our competitor is always going to out-accelerate us. You know, we're, we've got 10 years max. We're just getting away with it. Then you're, you've already lost. So, so kind of going, here is, here is where we're differentiated, spinning it on its head. Why do people come to us? You know, why is it that we're a bricks and mortar store or, or we're a bank that's been around for 300 years? What is it that people come to us? Oh, it's because of trust. They like the experience. They like our stuff, whatever it is. Right. So now let's turn that into our, our really big point of differentiation. Let's wave that from the top and then figure out how we speed up in the other areas by bringing in partners. Uh, I think if you do those three things, um, it starts to look a, le a little less daunting when you look at 5G on the horizon and the pandemic going through and the Suez Canal and Brexit and all of that good stuff. If you do those three things and you kind of think, okay, we, we, can, we can manage this, we can get through it. Yeah, I love what you just said there, actually, about that optimism and kind of rather than just maybe thinking you have to kind of play catch up with some of your competition, you know, really understand what is your strength and really build on that strength. I think that's such an important message. Yeah, and by doing that, history tells us over the last um, five or so years, history tells us by doing that, a lot of people find out that their biggest competitor now is actually their best partner, you know, because they can't do the bit that we do really well and we can't do the bit that they do really well. Um, let's let's pull back from these bits where we're we're competing with each other for absolutely no reason whatsoever and partner up. And you see that in I mean fintechs with banks, for example. You have the trust piece measured with the the kind of the technology platform. Um, and now they they were huge disruptors to each other. And now they're they're best friends, right? <laughs> they're they're kind of they're taking over the world together. Um, so I think that that piece is really key. Yeah, and that's good news for us, right? As the end consumer as well. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Better service. Um, and lastly, you know, obviously, I'm from ServiceNow, so I'd love to get your opinion, really, Ollie, on you know, how does a platform like ServiceNow really help with this transformation, this evolution? I shouldn't say transformation because I said I hated that <laughs> earlier. This, this evolution that businesses are going through. Where do you see ServiceNow really helping? Well, I mean, you know, I'm a massive ServiceNow nerd, uh, and I, ha I have been for, for years and years and years now. Um, and for me, ServiceNow has a play in everything that we've talked about today. I think that's the most interesting piece. And we haven't designed it that way. That's just that's just how this conversation has, has panned out. So when we look at that drive for breaking down silos and, and remapping workflows and, and bringing data and insights to different functions, ServiceNow has a really clear story there. Um, when we talk about the impact that has with, um, with new areas of focus like ESG, ServiceNow has a story. It has something it can bring to that party. Um, so for me, uh, ServiceNow is in a really interesting position. I can say that as an analyst because you're, you're sort of moving in the direction that enterprises are moving in. Um, and I was at one of your events fairly recently where you had kind of the um, a, a boardroom really of, of different executives where it wasn't IT, it was a mixture of different functions kind of going, well, actually, here's how we're going to use low code because it solves this particular problem, or here's how we're going to use the platform because it unites these different business function areas. So enterprises get it too, um, which, you know, is obviously good news for you guys. Oh, that's great to hear, Ollie. So thank you ever so much again for your time today. Um, I'd love to chat to you again on another podcast because I think um, there are so many different uh, areas we could probably go down into a bit more detail uh, about. But thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking to you uh, again soon. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you found the podcast really insightful. And uh, let us know what you think and let us know what you'd like to hear more about next time. Thank you. Thank you.